Welcome to the Personal Injury Marketing Minute, where we quickly cover the hot topics in the legal marketing world. I'm your host, Lindsay Busfield. As a personal injury lawyer, when you hear the term media training, you might initially think this only applies to the big lawyers who spend time talking to the press about high-profile cases. While media training is absolutely essential for those lawyers, it's also essential for any lawyer who ever talks to anyone ever. So pretty much every lawyer. Whether you are talking to the press or making a YouTube video or reporting a, a podcast, you are given the opportunity to either showcase your strengths or you have a risk of damaging your reputation. While 50 years ago, a bad interview got buried, in the digital age, the footage lives forever, so you must get it right the first time. Ann Kavanaugh and Gigi Lubin are media training experts who work with personal injury lawyers. They have extensive experience coaching law firms and their clients as they address the most stressful situations where the camera is rolling. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. Well, I was a, uh, well, first of all, both Gigi and I are graduates of the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern. We were uh, a year apart, so we weren't there at the same time, but we did have many of the same professors and some of the same experiences. I went on and worked for almost 30 years as a television reporter, most of those years in Chicago. And I left about 11 years ago and I launched this firm, Media Pros 24 7, because I saw a lot of good people who didn't come across well in their interviews just because they needed a little a little training, a few skills, a few tweaks. And I thought, well, maybe there's an opening for me. And as it turned out, I would say 75% of my clients at least ended up being attorneys and most of them well-known personal injury attorneys in Chicago. And some of them I had known through the years uh, covering stories with them. And when I left, they reached out to me. And in, in fact, it was funny. One, um, one, one attorney who was well-known in Chicago, I did a story with her and her clients. And the story turned out very well for her case and helped prompt some very nice settlements. But she could not speak in a soundbite. And I felt so bad because I had limited time and I just couldn't use her soundbite. I used her client's soundbites, but I couldn't use hers. And I felt bad because, you know, she had been so great to work with. So I did, of course, say her name and I showed pictures of her walking with her clients. But I called her up at the time and I said, you know, I feel bad, but you just have to learn how to nail that 20 second soundbite because your soundbites are like two minutes and they ramble. And to her credit, um, she took it well. And she's like, well, thank you for mentioning my name. The story has been very helpful. So fast forward like a year later when I left, she was one of the first people that called me and said, can you help me? And I said, of course. And then after that, she became a soundbite machine and did media interviews for years and years and continues to do so. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now. And I've worked on a lot of high profile controversial cases in Chicago. Um, uh, the Jason Van Dyke, uh, Laquan McDonald shooting case is one of them. Another one is Jesse Smollett, where Gigi worked with me on that one as well. And that was quite controversial and, um, you know, uh, really worldwide media. So um, that's how we and we kind of started working together, I, I would say about four years ago, we had a mutual friend who thought that we would be a good team and we met and we we agreed. So, we are um, a good team. <laughs> so I'll let you, Gigi say a little bit more about her background. 
Right. So Anne mentioned that we both are graduates from the Medill School of Journalism, but she didn't say we have master's degrees from there. And so, yes, we um, we both have master's from a Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism. I took kind of like a different career path than Anne, where I was a television news reporter for a few years. I um, went on to Disneyland in their broadcast publicity department. So I worked on Main Street USA with Mickey and Minnie and all these others and met a lot of celebrities, some who really needed media training. But um, I then, um, and I also worked with a large float builder for the Tournament of Roses Parade, which people see every year. We broadcast live from one of the floats that was first that was it was ever done. And that was my idea. Then I rode the float too. It was Bank of America. Um, I work with major consumer brands launching products all over the country. For instance, carbon monoxide alarms. That was a product we um, I was part of introducing um, and getting them actually required by law, just like smoke alarms are required. Um, I've worked with big city fire departments, media training. There are a lot of fire chiefs, one who went on to become the FEMA director and um, acted as an on-air spokesperson for um, for a large consumer product brand that works with fire departments. And I'm also a board member for the Chicago Fire Department Survive Alive House Foundation. So basically, um, Anne and I are working together, as she said, on a, a lot of interesting um, you know, uh, legal clients, and we're really excited to be able to tell you about it. Well, and with legal clients, it is so important for them to be able to stand up in front of a camera and, as you said, and give a short soundbite um, related to the case without rambling on. And lawyers can be great at this, but they can definitely need some additional support where there are a lot of lawyers out there who want to give all of the information um, and, you know, and paint a very big story because lawyers are natural storytellers. Um, but in a media situation, that's not necessarily the type of communication that you need to be getting across. So in your own words, what is media training and why do lawyers need it? Well, media training, I think we break it into three different categories. And um, the number one thing which you hit on right there is lawyers are generally great talkers and storytellers. However, they, they're they not known for being short and concise. <laughs> and they, as you said, they kind of want to tell that whole story, which they, they can't in that soundbite. They really do need to know how to nail that soundbite. So that's the first thing that we work with lawyers on is, is getting them in that mindset and helping them create that, that 20 second soundbite. And the great news is because they are such talented um, talkers and storytellers and they're smart people that they grasp it very quickly and, and they can turn it around and become very good at this in a very short amount of time. Um, the other thing we want to do, especially with TV, and it's not just doing TV interviews, but as you know, today, everything is recorded. So you're always on camera. So we really want to give them those performance skills that they need to do well in TV. And often it's just tweaking things like what's the right thing to wear for the camera, body language, eye contact, working a little bit on their delivery, knowing when to pause, knowing when to smile, things like that. And again, our lawyers catch on to that very quickly. And, you know, we, I guess the main thing is we want them to be energetic and passionate and enthusiastic. And you know, once we can warm them up a little bit, they get it. And we also do all our media training on camera so they can see for themselves how they come across and they make very quick progress. And then the final thing 
is how to control the interview. And Gigi and I believe this is so important because so many times smart people, including lawyers, they go into the interview and they think, well, I know my case very well. I can handle any question they want to ask me, which is probably true. However, that's not controlling the interview. That's allowing the reporter to control the interview. And of course, Gigi and I know that because we were the ones controlling the interviews for so many years. So what we try to teach them is how they can control the interview and control the headline and the main takeaway. So we, we work with them to think before they go into the interview and have a strategy. What do you want that main takeaway to be? Okay, let's create some messaging, some four or five 20 second sound bites that kind of really make that point. And then we urge them to consider what questions will be asked. And in most cases you can predict, I would say 95% of the questions. And then we also tell them, okay, think about where your weaknesses are. You know, what could those negative questions be? And come up with responses to that. And then we work with them on bridging back to their main messaging. So when they have a question they don't want to answer or they think is irrelevant or negative for their case, how they can gracefully pivot back to their main messaging, not seeming like no comment or I can't address that, but gracefully moving back to what they really want to talk about. And um, I think that makes the biggest difference in interviews. And I, I think that Gigi would agree with me. I do. I do agree. Um, definitely with Anne. I mean, it's important. Um, Anne always says this, and I agree wholeheartedly, is you want to create your headline and then, you know, keep referring back to it. And what Anne was saying too about um, bridging back, which we can get into in a minute, but is you don't ever want to repeat a negative statement. That's really crucial. You want to know how to answer and how to reply to those negative questions, but you never want to take part of the question and repeat it back in your answer so that they could just use that negative clip and you look like you're being really defensive. That's a great point and a great tip. You want to be able to control that message and only put out exactly what you want other people to understand and take out of uh, what you're presenting. Uh, but with so many important factors that go into getting in front of the camera and so many unknowns, uh, I know a lot of lawyers who are just purely intimidated. Um, and because of that, they dodge the camera and they shy away. Um, so why is it important for personal injury lawyers to get in front of the camera in the first place? Well, I think it's especially important for personal injury attorneys because they really need to get out there and frame their cases. We we kind of have a, a, a program with our attorneys where, you know, they'll get ready to file a case and, you know, they will give us an advanced copy of, of the complaint and, you know, we'll look at it and with them, we'll work out a media strategy so we can roll that out to the media. So they get out in front of the case and they can frame it to the public. And unlike, you know, corporate law, which, you know, a lot of people don't even understand mergers and acquisitions and all that stuff, the public can really relate to personal injury law because it usually involves regular people like ourselves who something unfortunate and really terrible has happened to, and they need justice and they need, you know, some kind of compensation because oftentimes they have lifelong injuries. So they have compelling stories and they're, they're stories that the public can relate to and, and, and are interested in. So it's really good to get in front of the case. And 
What we've found is that with our attorneys, oftentimes it has prompted settlements because the, the insurance companies or whoever, you know, are watching all this media coverage and they're like, whoa, you know, this is not good. And think how it would be in front of a jury. We better just cut our losses and settle the case. And, and that often happens. I think the other thing that's good for the personal injury attorneys is it gets their name out there and people know who they are. And as you know, when people are the victim of, of some kind of negligence or, or you know, mal medical malpractice or whatever it may be, they're usually regular people who have had no, no contact with the legal system. They don't know who to call or who to use or who's good. And so they can remember, hey, I saw that that lawyer on TV and he was he was talking about that birth injury case or this attorney was talking about, you know, uh, abuse at a nursing home or, or whatever the topic may be. So I think it really helps attract clients and also referrals from other attorneys. Yeah, absolutely. You know, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add one other thing is that media training um, often makes people feel comfortable. Like they might be afraid before, but once they do media training and have some tools and experience and practice, they're confident and comfortable in front of the camera rather than afraid. Yeah. And we really do a lot of interview prep with our clients too. Like we, we, we um, come up with the questions that we think the reporters will ask and including the negative ones. And we really do mock interviews with them and with their clients, because oftentimes we have the clients talk to the media too. So we really work a lot with them before they go in front of the media. So, um, so, you know, I, I think as to Gigi's point, I think our clients, by the time they get in front of the media, they, probably feel pretty confident. Right. It becomes second nature the more that they practice. Mm -hmm. as we with always anything. Them. Our interviews are going to be a lot harder than the ones you do for people. <laughs> so if you can be okay with our interviews, you'll be okay when you go in front of the full press. That's right. <laughs> well, and we, we've been talking a lot about going in front of the press and talking in front of the camera. Um, but other than news interviews, what opportunities do lawyers have to get in front of the camera in a non-news setting? Well, they, you know, there's so many different ways that um, people speak uh, nowadays. I mean, for instance, the presentations, maybe at a bar association event or speeches or community forums, and you have one bad comment out there and it can haunt you forever. And so there are so many different places that we end up speaking and being asked to speak at. Um, that it's really important to be able to have the confidence and know what you're going to say and how to say it. Gigi's so right. And, and, you know, today, obviously, everything is recorded. Everything is streamed. People can watch it online. So there's really nowhere to hide in that extent. I think you almost have to think, I'm always going to be recorded. So I always have to be camera ready. And, you know, also a lot of law firms today, um, they they do their own videos that they put on their websites. They do social media where they appear on, on camera. A lot of them have video bios. So, you know, it really is, it, it really needs to be in their toolbox today in 2023. That's so true. And in today's attention-driven economy, you know, it's all about where people's eyeballs are. And if you aren't giving them something to watch, then somebody else will. And you need to make sure that the content that you're producing and anytime that you get in front of the camera and make something new, that it, it 
is a representation of who you are and your capabilities and your eloquence and not look like you're being held ransom and being forced to be put in front of the camera. Uh, so, I mean, having those skills are going to be, in a lot of times, that first introduction that you have to a potential client. And it'll be the first time that they get to meet you, quote unquote, face to face. Um, so being media trained and being able to project your best voice and your true brand um, while not tripping over your tongue is a huge asset. Um, and so when creating their own content and media opportunities, um, what should personal injury lawyers be talking about? You mean when they're when they're uh, creating content for social media and whatnot? Yeah, for social media, for their websites. Um, what types of things are going to generate interest? Well, a, a few things, and um, obviously they should talk about their cases, right? Um, I think like a lot of the lawyers that we work with, we have them. We we check the wires in the morning and we see what's what's going on, and when we find interesting cases. Um, that especially when they pertain to the kind of law that they handle, like we might find a case in North Carolina and we'll um, put it on our lawyer's um, Facebook page or social media in Chicago because that happens to be his specialty. And he can make a little you know, comment on it or whatever. And it just kind of reminds the, the his followers or her followers that, yeah, this guy has an, or this woman has an expertise in this and they know a lot about this. So we we definitely put newsworthy cases on there that that pertain to their practice. Um, also, a lot of personal information. Now, as Gigi had mentioned before, you know, when they give speeches or presentations or awards or things like that. But also, we've found, especially for personal injury lawyers, it's good to for them to give some personal information about themselves, things that they can form a connection with followers and people can relate to them. Um, I had one client he was actually my first legal client and he and his wife, who was also an attorney at the firm, had two sets of triplets within two years. So that, <laughs> now the kids are like in high school, but, um, but, but when I started working for them, they were babies. And um, that has, that just caught on and everybody related to that, not just, you know, followers, but, but future clients, other attorneys. So it really, um, I think humanized them. And mm -hmm. I mean, we worked on a great project for another one of our clients, and I'll let her tell you about it because she was the lead on it, but it was really beneficial for the client. Yeah, so um, it turns out that this client had um, had a heart attack and died on, well, died. He was- Thankfully, he didn't die. <laughs> he didn't die, but he was on the golf course and a caddy saw and ran over and gave CPR and saved his life. He was in a coma for like 12 days and, um, you know, had some different procedures done, but he lived and he's fine and he's back at work and he's leading his firm. And so what we did was we, um, we suggested doing a CPR class with the fire department for some of the attorneys at the firm and some of his friends and um, we got the story on the front page of the Chicago Tribune. And um, everybody was fascinated by that story. He ended up paying for the college, uh, for the rest of college for the caddy. Wow. And just a really heartwarming story. And people really responded to that. He heard from so many people, some people who had referred cases to him earlier, ended up reaching out to him. He hadn't heard from them in years. So 
you know, personal stories like that um, are always of interest to um, to people, to everybody. And it humanizes. Oh, it, it really does. It humanizes yeah. them. And 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 in his case, he also he used it as an opportunity to um, encourage people to really learn CPR because mm -hmm. when he was out on the golf course you know, none of the people with him really knew it, or they hadn't done it for years and years. And this young caddy had thankfully recently taken a class in it. So he ran over and he really saved his life and, and got, got his heart going until the paramedics came and obviously took over. So it was also a, a way to educate the public about the importance of this. And that's another point, because a lot of personal injury lawyers, as you know, are, are very involved with causes or charities. So that's another thing that we do is really um, promote what they're involved in. And, and most of our lawyers are involved in a wide range of good things. And so we want to get some coverage for that, too. Yeah, highlighting and humanizing the lawyers, um, showing where their real heart is. I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of bad lawyers out there who have given the legal community somewhat of a, of a rough rep reputation to combat. So the more you can humanize um, and connect on a personal level and showcase the goodness um, of the vast majority of lawyers who are out there, that is that's a great tip. Um, and kind of going back to media training for some other tips, um, what are um, some ways that personal injury lawyers can get more comfortable with being in front of the general public going forward with these types of stories and being more comfortable in front of the camera itself? Well, I, I, I definitely think to prepare. Too many people don't prepare. They just go and they think they can wing it because they're a good talker. And that's always when they get in trouble. And, you know, I've dealt with so many great communicators, public figures that, you know, I mean, to the very top level, you know, um, even presidents of the United States. And even these people need to prepare for interviews as good as they are. And as much experience as they have, they still have to prepare. So I would, you know, say to the attorneys, really prepare, get your talking points, decide what your main messaging is and practice practice, practice, practice. And um, Gigi and I always tell our clients to really practice saying the stuff out loud. And it often helps, you know, if you don't, like we come in with cameras and we help people do it in a very formal way, but um, just, just record yourself on your iPhone, you know, and you can see how you come across and you can make tweaks. So I, that's what I would recommend. Gigi, I, do you have any other thoughts there? Um, well, practice out loud is so important as Anne, as you just said. Um, I mean, there's so many tips that we give in media training. Um, we, we, the first thing that's so important, as Ann mentioned earlier, is to decide what you want the headline to be. And that way you can control the interview and you want to keep pivoting back to it. Um, she also mentioned about lawyers being great talkers and you know, that, that, but it's hard sometimes for them to keep it to short sound bites. You want your sound bite. That's when they use a clip of you talking to be about no more than 20 seconds. And you don't have to tell everything right off the bat. Um, you know, in, in, um, print interviews, you can do a little longer, but not too much longer. And you, you don't have to say everything in the first answer. It's a conversation. You want to keep it flowing. Um, as we discussed earlier, you want to anticipate negative questions and prepare responses for them. And this is where bridge comments come in handy. 
um, we can talk more about that later, but it's kind of like the, oh, well, that's a really good point you make, but let me tell you what my focus, what, what I think is really important. And, you know, you can come back to that and that gives you, gets you out of difficult um, parts of, of questions. And um, also you, um, as Anne's really good about this, talking about um, when crafting your sound bites, you want to begin with a key statement or a declarative sentence, then back it up with a fact or anecdote and reasons that back it up or explain it. Like, I don't know if you can give an example off the top of your head, Anne, of that. You're really good at. Okay, let me try. <laughs> <You're> putting... <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> so it is It is good to start with a declarative sentence, and then you want to back it up with a, an example, an anecdote, or a statistic. And you want to keep it about 20 seconds. Okay, so let me try off the top of my head. In 2023, media training is really essential for anyone who's going to be talking to reporters. On TV, you have about 20 seconds to make your point. And if you mess up, it will live on forever in digital content. So you really want to make sure that you put your best foot forward. Great. Okay. Excellent example. Very know. nice. <laughs> Nicely done. And talks in sound bites. She's really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that comes from working on TV for 30 years, but, right? but people learn it very quickly. And the lawyers really do pick up on it because, and we said this before, but it's so true. They are good storytellers and talkers and they're smart people. So they get it very quickly. So Listen, I'm going to put you yeah. on the spot with another okay. example. Um, we've been talking a little bit about this, uh, the bridge technique. Um, and so if a lawyer is in an interview and they feel like it's not going well, they're going down a rabbit hole, they're getting asked questions that they aren't prepared for, a question comes at them and they need to pivot the conversation. Can you give me an example of this? Uh, I'm just gonna put you on the spot. Well, ask us a question that we don't want to answer. Think of a like a kind of snarky question that we're not going to want to answer. Um. Oh my God! Now you, you just turned the the tables <laughs> on me, and now I'm going to be put on the spot. <laughs> okay. Why don't you ask us something like, "Well, but isn't media training really expensive?" Oh say. my goodness! But isn't media training so expensive? Well, no matter what your business is, whether it's a law firm or whether it's a, a restaurant, you have to make some investments in the business. And as a lawyer, you really have to talk to the media. That is part of your job. So you want to make sure you put your best foot forward and you have the skills and the knowledge you need to do strong media interviews. The payoff down the road will be great for you and the firm. But and another... Oh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again because I, I it took me that long to think of another question. <laughs> but, but can't I just submit a press release or a written interview without getting in front of the camera? Well, news organizations in many cases receive 500 to a thousand news releases a day, and especially when you're dealing with TV, you know they they need the picture, they need the soundbite. So a news release really isn't going to cut it in many cases. So you really do need to know how to speak on camera. And today, even, even in print, they are um, recording your interviews and they're often having the full interview uh, on their website for people to watch on camera. In fact, just before we got, so that's my answer, but um, away from my answer <laughs> is that just before we got on, um, Gigi will laugh at this because she knows I'm obsessed with the royal family. But anyways, just <laughs> before 
<laughs> just before you know we went on, I was watching a, a New York. I was reading a New York Times story about Prince Harry's interview with, on the um, Colbert show. And they, sure enough, they had a link to the whole interview. So it wasn't just the print story. They I, And I was watching the link before we went on. So today, every, you, everything is really on camera, even print interviews, right, Gigi? Absolutely. And keep in mind, you know, you ask about a press release. Can't I send a press release? Well, a press release can't talk and somebody else can. And if you don't, your competition will. And so you you can't be afraid. And, you know, as Ann said, they're recording even print interviews. But for TV and radio, if you don't give a, a soundbite and can't appear on camera, you don't get the interview. So you have to really be prepared. And the bridge statements, Lindsay, that you asked about earlier, I mean, one of the things that I would, that I love is to say something like, well, you know what, that's not the issue. I, I think here's what my viewpoint is, or, well, here is what I am certain of, or, and you hear politicians do this all the time. Before I answer that, let me just say this, <laughs> and then you, you answer your question. And so especially in TV and radio interviews, that works because typically they're not going to get back to it. And especially if it's live, then you've deflected that and you're out of it. But for print, you know, sometimes you're going to have to have a backup and know what you want to say. Oftentimes I tell people, you know, a good one to keep in your back pocket is to say, you know what, let me check on that and I'll get back to you. And Sometimes they don't get back to you. And if they do, you're more prepared with your answer. So they're, they're not going to argue with that. You never want to make something up. I don't think this is what our audience was, would do anyway. But, you know, you don't want to say something that you're not exactly sure of. And they're, they're human. They get it. You don't have that answer. You want to check on it and get back with them. And sometimes, you know, they won't check back with you. There's also some other ones, um, you know, some other bridge statements like, First, let me make this point. And um, there's other ones like, that's a good question, but I might've already mentioned that one. Um, I'm not sure about that, but what I do know is this. And what I really believe is this. So there's lots of ways to get away from that and back to your what your original message point was. And that's when you say that. And it's okay to repeat yourself. You don't, you know, sometimes reporters will, will ask the same question several times so that you'll say it differently and they'll get a better something out of you that you might not want to want to have said. And we always tell people it's okay to repeat. You do not have to come up with something different. Yeah. And then sometimes you can just change the wording around just a little bit. So you don't sound like a robot, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, but, right. but, 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 but you can do that. And, uh, you know, I, I covered city hall in Chicago for many years and there was just one reporter and, and she just would never let things go. And she would, one time we counted and she asked the mayor the same question like 52 times, <laughs> but to his, to his credit, you know, he stayed on message, you know, and finally, even she as relentless as she was had to move on. So those are all really great ways to control the narrative and really take control over the message that you want to project, because obviously the media has an agenda when they are trying to um, get an interview done. They want to get that clip that is a little bit more interesting or intriguing than maybe the facts really are. Um, and it sounds like there's a real struggle going on between what the media wants to get out of somebody versus the narrative that they are trying to control. Uh, and you need to be able to come prepared for that um, and not fall into those, those traps. Um, and I mean, we could go on about this all day long 
long, um, but I will let listeners get in touch with you directly. Um, so if somebody does want to learn more, if they have an upcoming um, interview, if they want some general techniques and tips uh, before they get in front of the camera to record a podcast or uh, record a YouTube video, how can somebody get in touch with you? Well, we're based in Chicago, but we do things all over the country. And so they can just call Gigi or I, um, our, our contact or email us. Our contact information is go going to be on your web, uh, your podcast page, I believe. So just yep. give us a call or shoot us an email. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lindsay. And I want to say one other thing that I love to tell people. Anne has interviewed the Pope. And I have interviewed Alan Dershowitz. So if you're looking for media training, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. That's great. Well, thank you both so much. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks, Lindsay.